0: As as dearly Father, we come before you this morning, this resurrection Sunday in heartfelt prayer. We're so very grateful, Father, for all that you've accomplished through your son, as he humbled himself and was born to die. Father, what a humbling reality this is for all of us this morning, but thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to rejoice, knowing that he is indeed risen, seated at your right hand, Father in heaven, the mainstay of our faith the one that gives us hope, the one who we abide in, the one whose love we enjoy. Father, thank you for gathering us together for this fellowship this morning, that we might be encouraged each by another's faith. And we take full grasp of the enormity of what this celebration means. Father, we pray for those that couldn't be with us this morning, that earnestly desire to be here with us. Our hearts go out to them. Our prayers do as well. On a morning like this, may it not be tainted, but we pray for those that are still lost that aren't enjoying this feast this morning. Father, we're so grateful, most grateful, for the work your Son accomplished, and then of course for His resurrection as the proof of our faith. We just ask for your blessings and your guidance on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Turn your Bibles to First Peter 1, one, one. Peter one verse one. 1 Peter 1, verse 1. It's interesting because each time we have a, uh, a holiday, Resurrection Sunday in particular, there's always um, remnants of what we've studied over the past few months that immediately reveals itself to us in Holy Scripture. And this is no exception. 1 Peter 1, 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Athenia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the ultimate proof of our faith. As the Bible teaches us, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, resurrection as a general theme itself is dead. Without His resurrection, what hope could we possibly have of our own. We know that this wretchedness that we call our sinful life, our sinful body, our sinful natures, isn't about to enter into heaven, into the holy presence of God. So The only option is for God to do all the work. God must reconcile His own base desire, which we see in 1 Timothy 2.4 up here on the board, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So God must reconcile His own base desire on the board with this fact as well. Up here, Hebrews 9.27. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. Comes judgment. And so these two things have to be reconciled. The only way that these two things can be reconciled in a way that is beneficial to his children is by the grace and mercy of God. The only way we will ever be able to enjoy the stupendous things of heaven is if we are indeed made new. If we exchange our earthly inheritances for heavenly ones. And I want you to think about that this afternoon. Earthly inheritance versus heavenly one. The only way we'll enjoy perfect fellowship with the Lord God in heaven is to be made new by the grace and mercy of God, to be given a new inheritance, as Peter wrote about. So let's continue with our passage, 1 Peter 1.3 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to His great mercy, has caused us to be Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Up here on the board, this is a phrase that we've become quite familiar with over the past few months. Born again to a living hope. Our hope is based on the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are privileged to live in that hope. As our reality, even though it is a future distinction, this resurrection of ours, we have faith that we have an imperishable inheritance already assigned to us, and that gives us hope. As we're going to see shortly up here on the board, 1 Corinthians fifteen fourteen. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is vain. Huh. If Christ has not been raised, if this is all a hoax, if the resurrection is a farce, I might as well not be here this morning nor you, because both of our faith is vain. So resurrection is everything to us. Again, look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through, through, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away like our earthly ones do. It's not to sidetrack, but just for a, a smidgen, if you will. When people die nowadays in this country, it seems like everybody's worried about the inheritances. We don't have that problem. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away like our earthly ones do, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation, deliverance is in view, through faith for a salvation and deliverance, ready to be revealed in the last time. And that's our living hope. That based on the credibility of God's word, based on our faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we know with full assurance that we too will be resurrected. So Peter, in this passage, gives us our rightful, and I want you to focus on that word, rightful. You have a right to this perspective. You're one of the family. You have a right to this perspective, a right to this inheritance, a right to this great hope. So Peter gives us our rightful perspective this Resurrection Sunday. If you've ever struggled as to what exactly it is that we are celebrating, other than the obvious, which is Christ himself, then here you have it. The very strength of our faith depends upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He is what the Bible calls the first fruits. In 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty. the Bible calls him the first fruits, of the overall plan of resurrection communicated by God from heaven. And every last person will be resurrected one way or another. In theology we call the first resurrection, the resurrection of the saints, believers. One way or another, we're all resurrected. This is a fact. Some to heaven, some to hell, for all of eternity. So the Bible calls Jesus Christ the firstfruits. In other words, He paves the way for us. If we are to be resurrected, He paves the way for us. Set the stage, so to speak. He even went to go prepare a place for His bride, as the Bible states. In this, our hope, our faith rests. And on a day like today, we have everything to be thankful for and everything to rejoice about because we abide in a living hope. And so it's this living hope that we have that is founded on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that becomes the vehicle that delivers us to enjoying the freedom that He has given us. It becomes that vehicle. It takes us there to that place, that estate of enjoyment. I could hear it in your voices this morning. So wonderful. Nice choice of songs, by the way, Scott. I could hear it in your voice this morning. We have a living hope. And it's on a foundation called the rock. And this knowledge, this experience this reality, it becomes a vehicle that delivers us to enjoying the freedom we've been given. It's kind of like a prisoner who has been set free. Um, Someone who misses a morning like this. It's like a prisoner who has been set free, but the judge keeps having to remind them of the reality because of their natural instincts. You see, our natural instincts become like the jailers who say, you're not free. That's impossible. There's no way that the judge would set you free. So you need to stay in prison. That's our natural instincts. Our natural instincts become our own jailers. But yet the judge on high says, you're released. We just can't believe it can't absorb such grace, and that's the overwhelming thing about grace. It's not fully absorbable, (laughs) and that's why it's intimidating to stand behind this pulpit this morning, because the grace is a mind blow. The truth is that Jesus Christ has been resurrected, and our faith is straight and true. So again we have every right every right to rejoice this day to enjoy it fully to take the time hold your thumb go to Romans 6 verse 11 Romans 6:11 we have every right this day to celebrate So There should always be an essence of strength and power um, at the base of our celebration on a Resurrection Sunday because Jesus Christ overcame the grave, overpowered it, conquered it. And look at this in Romans 6.11. This is what really brings it home. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin In other words, the grave is in view again, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So God has lifted you out to this thing we might call the resurrection life, this reality, this hope, this faith, this strength. Consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin... Reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. That is resurrection, is it not? That is the resurrection life. Present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. Why? Because you have the right to do so. You've been given the supreme privilege of doing so. Not by your labor, by His. And He's satisfied, propitiated as a result. And so you have this right given to you as a member of the family to rejoice this day. And the strength and the power really is on that linchpin which is the resurrection of Christ, our first fruits. So do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, as if you're unworthy or uh, uh, unrighteous in making this claim. Just the opposite is true. Present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. In other words, don't fall for the weaknesses of the sinful flesh, one of which lies to us about the status of our freedom, jails us, makes us doubt that which is rightfully ours, rightfully ours. Such is the encouragement on a Resurrection Sunday. Like this one. Okay, go back to First Peter one six. First Peter one six. First <clears throat> Peter one six. <clears throat> In this you greatly rejoice. Ah <sighs> just knowing. Just knowing what we know. Just realizing. What is rightfully ours, based on the strength of the resurrection of Christ. In this you greatly rejoice, even though, even though, now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result and praise, and glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because if you're a believer, that's where you're going. You're part of the first resurrection. It's going to be stupendous. So we have been given supernatural strength, even, to persevere in this faith of ours. But as I've taught you, oh, many years ago now, Um, but it comes up often from this pulpit, often enough. Faith must have an object. It cannot be vapid. Faith has an object. It has to. So many of our lessons from the Spirit over the years have been really whittled down to two categories. We might think of it this way, just for the sake of this morning's message. We have to have faith in something. And the two primary categories are self or Christ. Faith in self, this is the pathway to abiding in death and misery. In other words, I'm just going to stay in the grave. I was born spiritually dead, I'm just going to stay here. That's the anti-resurrection life. If that's your faith, which is the faith of an unbeliever, that's where you stay. Are there remnants of that faith in us even after salvation? Yeah, that's what the flesh does to us. That's what our jailers do to us. It's too much that God did for you. There still must be a little left of you here. So go back to jail for a while. Go live in misery. Or you can have faith in Christ. This is the way that leads to life. And This is what we might call the resurrection life knowing that He's been resurrected, and the strength of our faith is in Him. So as I've taught over the years, we must have faith in an object There has to be something that we cling to, something that we point to, something that we abide in. We can do either self, which is where we came from, or we can be or do this thing or have faith in Christ and be set free. And the resurrection leads us to this inevitably and always. So we must have faith in an object. Faith requires some kind of proof, something real, something we can cling to. For the earthly minded, it is based on earthly facts. For the heavenly minded, it is based on heavenly facts. Paul wrote this very simply, 2 Corinthians 5, Verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. I wasn't at Calgary. Were you? We walk by faith, not by sight. Just because it's faith doesn't mean it's any less real. I've taught you this in the past. Your faith is more real than this, if you have it. That's a hard thing for the natural mind to grasp. Because that faith given by God is stronger than this thing. More able, more capable, more real. Just because you can see it doesn't mean it's any more real. I know that sounds weird, but it's true. True faith is more real than this thing. You see, the problem is earthly-minded folks cannot accept The idea of resurrection from the dead because it exists outside the boundaries of natural thinking. However, for believers, we are in possession of supernatural perception and accept resurrection as something wholly possible with God. Up here on the board. Matthew 19, 26, part B. With God, all things are possible. All things are possible. It's funny how uh, I thought about like the Sadducees when I was doing my preparation for this. They'll believe in God, the creator of the universe, but they rejected resurrection. Okay, what? come on. Which one's a bigger thing? Creating a whole universe and people in it or raising someone from the dead? Why would you object to that thing? Why would we object to anything? If it's from God. Because if there's one absolute reality, one immutable truth in this world, it's the Word of God. It's the Word of truth. Who is God? You see? That's the most pure, perfect, solid thing we have. Is the truth. Is the Word of God. Resurrection, then, being said truth in the Word of God becomes the linchpin of our faith because it is the one proof point that God purposefully points our attention to. He wants you to use it as the linchpin. He wants you to think about it in powerful terms, in righteous terms. He wants you to think about it rightfully, as the basis of your rightful proclamation that you are one of God's children? Did you have a right to live this living hope? Did you have a right to all these blessings? He wants that from you. And he says, go ahead, look at the resurrection of my son. I gave that to you as a gift so that thousands of years later, all of you can still point to it and say, see, I'm not a liar. There's no reason to doubt. I did exactly what I said I was going to do. So resurrection becomes the linchpin of our faith because it is the one proof point that God purposefully points our attention to. It's not just a symbolic representation Of being lifted out of the grave. It's the basis of a promise. The promise is that he is willing and able to rescue each one of his own children from certain death. That's the promise, that he is willing and able to rescue each one of his own children from certain death. Jesus said this up here on the board, John sixteen, thirty-three. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. So that in me you may have peace. I was just speaking with someone before class how uh, a co-worker had no peace. Living holy in the world, on earthly terms, striving after the wind, looking for love and peace in all the wrong places. And this person could not understand with the simplicity of this other person's life how they would have peace. But this is what Jesus said to us. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Being made members of Christ's body, we share in this victory of His. This is the great celebration this morning. That Jesus Christ overcame even the last enemy, death. Overcame it all. Overcame the world. Is it fair to say that some of us, when we're not living the resurrection life, feel like the world overcomes us? That's not our right which is why it's not righteousness. He says, I overcame the world, and you're in me. You're the overcomer here. You're the victor here. So this is the great celebration this morning. This is why we celebrate Resurrection Sunday the way we do. We are celebrating a victory. Victory over certain death. Go to Romans eight thirty-seven. We are celebrating victory over certain death. I mean that's what was promised back in the garden. Dying thou shalt die. The death was certain. God's not a liar. Romans eight thirty-seven. Romans 837 reads, but in all these things we overwhelmingly, you see that? There's no doubt, in other words, we overwhelmingly conquer through him, of course that has to be there, through him who loved us. We become co victors, co conquerors. And the strength of it is evidenced in his resurrection that He overcame even death, the final enemy. But we just know that He overcame the world. He overcame everything. Makes sense. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How is that not overwhelming? He's basically saying nothing. Nothing. On the strength of my conviction, he said, you cannot be separated. Not even your own, how about that? I just want you to enjoy what I know to be true. On the strength of my conviction, you're not leaving my side. Go ahead. You are right in celebrating on a morning like this. I gave you that right. I purchased that right for you. Nothing in this world. I've overcome it all. Nothing in this world. No created thing. No angel Not even death is going to separate us. I rose from the grave for this. I overcame it all. So that your faith would be assured. So that you have something to cling to. Something real even. Resurrection implies overcoming death itself. Does it not? Yep. I mean, what else is left? Resurrection implies overcoming death itself. It's that thing that God warned Adam and Eve about in the garden not to let loose. It's that plague that man, by himself, can never hope to overcome. Will never claim victory over by himself. Only Jesus Christ was able to do this good work for us. Only him. And you know, had he failed, had he failed, the proof of his failure would have been that he would have remained in the grave. Mary would have found Jesus in the tomb that day. In John 20. What a different life we'd have if that were the case, huh? Can you imagine that? If she found Jesus that day in the tomb, You know the whole structure we call our faith? It all comes down to one little linchpin. Pull the linchpin out. What happens? All the girders and panels, all the infrastructure just goes Our faith is vain. Did we not read that? If he wasn't resurrected, there's no linchpin. If he remained in the grave, if she found Jesus that day, we would have a serious problem. Because He would be a liar. God would have lied to us all along. Jesus is the one who said, you tear down this temple, I'm going to raise it up three days later. He would have lied. Excuse me. Can you turn the mic down just for a moment? Can you imagine that and just put that in perspective. Can you imagine if she found him? <clears throat> but she didn't. As we know and have faith in it, Jesus did conquer the grave. Hallelujah. And once saved, we become co-victors with Him. So the grave doesn't have any power over us either anymore. (laughs) We shouldn't be afraid of death. It's a promotion. So once saved, we become co-victors with Him. If we're ever to celebrate anything in this life, it should be this one thing, our victory in Christ. The rest, hmm, somehow, if divorced from that singular thing, wood, hay, straw. Why do you think I keep repeating myself from behind this pulpit? I keep saying this phrase, what are we celebrating What are we celebrating? And you know, that question, some of you have never seen it before. I'm sure some of you have accused me of uh, unrighteousness even, because you haven't understood it yet. But that, that question that keeps coming from this pulpit, what are we celebrating? It has everything to do with what I'm teaching here this morning. Everything. Unless something edifies the church, the body of Christ, or advances the gospel of Jesus, then we must step back and ask, how is that thing I'm celebrating, how is it bringing glory to God? I mean, Jesus Christ overcame the grave for us to celebrate Him. And I was thinking about this, you know, as an example, it's just one example. But it's something that's come up even in my own life and some of your lives. In the case of some of the younger folks in this audience or some that might hear my voice. Maybe it's a graduation from a primary or secondary school that really is worth celebrating. Why? Because as children of God, they're on their way to working as unto the Lord to provide for their families, or their future families, to lead disciplined lives, working for and eating their own bread. I am willing to celebrate such things because they are in accord with the word of truth and the will of God. That's very different from some of the other things people ask us to celebrate, so much of it is a farce. So much of it is a farce. Again, the point the Spirit's making here is that if there's anything worthy of celebration, it's that Jesus has conquered death. and We have the incredible privilege of being asked to join him in this celebration. If there's anything worth celebrating, that is it. And if something is divorced from that celebration, then we have to raise an eyebrow. Go to 2 Corinthians 2.14. And so this morning, a day like this morning too, is also a point of focus to get us thinking right. To get us thinking righteously. We have a right to celebrate the way we're celebrating, but yet, anytime there's a right, anytime there's righteousness, there's unrighteousness. For something to be right, something has to be wrong as well. We have a right to celebrate Christ and anything connected to this victory, but we don't have a right to celebrate things divorced from it. It's like Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Let the unregenerate celebrate the worldly stuff. So we celebrate anything, even the birth of a child, you name it, marriage, uh, find what's worth celebrating. Find that aspect of that event that's worth celebrating, that brings glory to God, that reminds you of Resurrection Sunday, that reminds you of your victory in Christ, that reminds you of the things that He overcame for you to establish your own faith. That's worth celebrating. Second Corinthians 2.14 But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. When we are born again, we are saved from certain death. We are co conquerors with Christ Jesus. And we are given faith to secure it all, abiding in a living hope as victors. Up here in the board, First John 5, 4 reads, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith our faith i want to finish before we get in i'm going to have scott come up and do communion service for us but i want to finish our message with arguably one of the most recognizable passages of holy scripture on the topic of resurrection we'll just read it together hopefully my voice holds out go to 1st corinthians 15:1 1st corinthians 15 verse 1 <clears throat> First Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15.1 Now, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and which you also you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain... For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now, if Christ is preached, that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is is vain. Your faith also is vain moreover we are even found to be false witnesses of god because we testified against god that he raised christ whom he did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised for if the dead are not raised not even christ has been raised and if christ has not been raised your faith is worthless you are still in your sins then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If We have hoped in Christ in this life only. We are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ's that is coming. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule, and all authority, and all power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that, is, that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what will those do? who are baptized for the dead. If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for them? Jump forward 10 verses to verse 39. Verse 39. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, and another flesh of beasts, and another flesh of birds, and another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for stars differ from star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised in imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery... We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For The trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, Then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Up here on the board, on this beautiful topic, this wonderful celebration we call Resurrection Sunday, we are celebrating Christ's victory over death itself. Being made members of His body, we abide in a living hope by grace through faith as co-victors knowing that Jesus Christ is the firstfruits of the erection of the dead unto life. So, this Resurrection Sunday, in the midst of all the flying elbows, and the vapid conversations about worldly things, maybe we ask the same question that Jesus asked Martha. Go quickly, John 11.25. Maybe we ask this question this day. Maybe this is the point of it all. Maybe there's something to be said about simplicity here. John eleven twenty five 25 reads, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Maybe that's the question we focus on this Resurrection Sunday. Amen? All right, I'm going to have Scott come up. Uh, Gentlemen, please get the elements ready for communion service.
1: So we had an interesting final question just posed to us. Do you believe this? And um, as usual, you'll see how the Holy Spirit weaves these things together for us. I want to thank you, Pastor, again for the privilege of doing the Lord's Supper. Uh, When Pastor gave me this chance to present the communion service, two passages immediately came into mind um you know i immediately prayed and he like bam and you gotta love when you know it's from him and you want to share these things so please be careful with your communion elements and open your bibles to john 20 verse 26 john 20 26 And know as we read this passage, this is after Jesus' resurrection from the grave. John 20, 26. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst, and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands. And reach here your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. So that last statement there is the opportunity that every single one of us has the Lord said we are blessed if we believe even though we haven't seen Him face to face. Some of you might be like Doubting Thomas. Maybe you're here at church today because you should be, maybe out of obligation, or you've come for another person, and you don't really believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart. But that's between you and the Lord. But again, notice the Lord said, you will be blessed if you believe even without seeing him. And we've seen recently the word blessed means happy an inner joy. The Lord said, you'll be blessed if you believe even without seeing him. The Bible says those who place their trust in Christ will receive the ultimate blessing, being saved for all eternity, resurrection, life. Also after our Lord's resurrection he passed on to us what is known as the great commission. And I want you to see carefully what he said here. Go to Luke 24, go back one book to Luke 24 verse 44. <clears throat> Luke 24:44. Notice carefully what the Lord said. Now he said to them, These are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. So we are to proclaim forgiveness of sins for those who repent and turn to Christ. We are all guilty sinners, every single one of us, so it says throughout the whole Bible. Many in this church today have already repented of their sins against God and knowing they can't do anything about it on their own, they have placed their trust in Christ alone to be saved. So if you've never done that, now is your opportunity. It's between you and the Lord and the Lord is calling you right now. Maybe now is the right time for you. Maybe now is the day of your salvation. Turn away from your sins and your own solutions in life and turn to Christ alone to be saved. He's right there waiting with wide open arms. For those of us who believe, Jesus commanded us to celebrate and remember what he did for us at the cross and the proof of his victory over sin and death is his resurrection. Those who trust in him will be resurrected one day, just as he was resurrected from the dead. We saw that wonderful promise this morning. So let's follow the ordinance he gave us. Turn back two more books in your Bible to Matthew twenty-six, twenty-six. Matthew 26, 26. For those who believe in Him, for those who surrender in faith and choose to follow Him, this is an ordinance that He wants us to remember Him by. Matthew 26, 26. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, He broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. In memory of our Lord, let's eat the bread. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. In memory of our Lord, let's drink the cup. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this privilege to stop and remember him and all that he did and the proof of his victory by the resurrection from the grave. Father, help us claim this as our right and our privilege, as one who has believed in him, one who has denied self and said, I can't save myself one who is trusted in Christ is promised the same resurrection as Christ opened the gateway to heaven Father we ask that you bless everyone today in their celebrations we ask that you give us your peace all day long your inner joy all day long for this promise you've given us and that we may share it at the right time with our loved ones who desperately need the good news Father, we ask that you bless us all as we go. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your Spirit. Amen.